Hi, everybody. Good afternoon and welcome to Wednesday Live with Dr. Nancy. Um, very excited today about our special guest. Um, but before we introduce her, I want to kind of just uh, remind you about our clothing swap that's going on on uh, Saturday the 18th. It's going to be from 9 until 1. Um, 9 until 11 is women. Um, so clothing sizes small to extra large and then some maternity clothes. And then from 11 until 1, we're going to have a kids clothes exchange. So um, sizes from newborn to 6. Um, tickets are being um, uh, not sold but given away on our uh, Facebook page. So go ahead, make sure you snag those. There, I know that we only have a few left. So um, go ahead and snag your tickets and reserve your spot. And um, we look forward to seeing you next Saturday. So last month, uh, we did a lot of posting about um, the sexual abuse um, awareness in April. And we, I've had a lot of patients reach out to me thanking me for um, bringing it to attention. Uh, we were we are fortunate today to have um, Feather Burkauer with us from Boulder, Colorado, um, who kind of specializes in this. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about parenting um, for safe children. So I want to go ahead and let um, Feather introduce herself, tell us a little bit about herself, and we'll kind of go from there. Welcome, Feather. Well, thanks, Dr. Nancy. So fun to be here. Uh, so let's see a little bit about myself. I am dedicated and committed to educating adults about keeping children safe from sex abuse. And I've been doing this a long time, a couple, three decades. And I got into this work in college. I um, actually, it's a kind of a weird story. I had no concept or information about child sex assault. Um, I was watching a made-for-TV movie while I was an undergraduate student, and it was called something about Amelia, and it was all about a 10-year-old girl being incested by her father. And there was something about that movie that just clicked in me, and from that moment, I just dedicated my life to doing this work and got a social work degree and started working in prevention with kids in schools and through time and over decades have moved to focusing on prevention work with adults. Wonderful. Yeah. So I have a business called Parenting Safe Children. And um, actually, I want to back up a minute and just really start by acknowledging that, and I always like to do this, that we have survivors among us today listening because the statistics the numbers are so high of children who are sexually assaulted right around one in three girls and six boys we always have survivors among us so i just want to make a plug for anyone listening um, to take care of yourselves in whatever way that means for you this information can really affect people in very personal ways so for us all to just keep that in mind okay so Parenting Safe Children is all about educating adults how to keep children safe from sexual assault by minimizing the risk for them and creating environments for them that have less risk. And I come from the belief that adults are responsible for protecting children from sex assault, that kids can learn protection skills, and it's important that they do. However, ultimately, it is up to the adult to protect the child, not for children to have to protect themselves. So I focus my work rather than working with kids at this point, I work with adults and I present 
um, and offer workshops to parents and youth professionals in schools and youth organizations. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I can tell you, you can ask questions or I can tell you what the content is and what people learn, whatever you'd like to do. You know, maybe how you start with parents, like what, um, what kind of suggestions do you offer to them? So what what I do with parents is, you know, the, the presentation that I offer focuses on three areas of prevention. And really, these are the most important to do your best, to do your due diligence, to um, minimize risk. And that would be first learning the facts. How does child sex abuse happen to children? Meaning, how what is the grooming process? that an older teen or an adult will use with a child and that child's adults, the, the adults around the child, because almost always there are preceding behaviors to a touch. And those are, we call grooming behaviors. So it would include learning grooming behaviors, learning the difference between children who sexually act out and offend versus kids who are exploring sexuality in normal ways. And, how to speak up and intervene if you do see those grooming behaviors from an older teen or an adult. Also included in learning the facts is how to answer kids' sexual questions and how to nurture their sexual development because there's a direct link between the reduction of risk of sex abuse and nurturing children's sexual development. So that, that is a start, is to learn the facts. Then parents can learn body safety rules to be teaching kids. And this would be children's skill set. This would be their toolkit. Even though it's an adult's responsibility to protect kids, kids still need information to protect themselves. So that's what we call body safety rules and boundaries. And then, and we can get into that in a minute if you want, but most importantly, what I really focus on with parents is how to have conversations with their caregivers, including their own family members, about their children's body safety rules. Because if parents can be alerting family and babysitters and coaches and teachers and uh, religious leaders and whomever they put their children in the care of about their children's body safety and be having a normalized conversation just like allergies or the car seat or a bike helmet, then we reduce the risk. Because if you're sitting, let's, let me just give you an example. If you're sitting across from a potential nanny and you're discussing with that nanny secrets versus surprises in your home and the fact that your children are allowed to choose if they have hugs and kisses because they've learned consent and that no one touches the private areas of their body and you're having that kind of discussion along with how much do you charge, when are you available, the other things parents talk about then you're doing two things. One, inadvertently, you're letting this person know, my child is off limits, and if you have a behavior problem with kids, not my kid. But more importantly, you're also saying, be on my prevention team. Are we like-minded? We're matching expectations here. Can you help keep my child safe by following the boundaries we have in our home. And if parents can learn these conversations with every caregiver that they leave their child with, we can reduce the risk of sex abuse. So that's in a nutshell the content that I offer in my parent workshops. Yeah, I think if you do it off like that, you know, it's I, I can see where that would really work to prevent sex abuse. 
and kids for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I also meet with sex offenders in prisons and in um, outpatient treatment groups, and I have these conversations with both men and women who have offended. And I repeatedly ask them, you know, what would you have done if the, the adult in this child's life would have spoken with you about these kinds of topics, body safety rules and boundaries? Would you have offended? And the answers vary. But the theme that I hear is typically I'd run for the hills. Now we have to remember that a lot of sex abuse is committed by family itself and it's incest. So, you know, we have to just remember that piece of that when I do talk to offenders. Right. right. Yeah. So what other things do you do in your program? So what other things do you do in your program to help the adults? To help the adults. So we we get break into groups and parents practice these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, I show some videos of a like a mom speaking with a school director, uh, a father speaking with his own mother, parents speaking with um, the parents of a play date invitation or sleepover, and how to model these conversations. So we have 90 minutes of that practice in these workshops. Um, we also go through 10 body safety rules and how to implement those with kids by using what if games because what if games can stimulate critical thinking? Mm -hmm. So we practice what those what if games are and how to optimize teachable moments. Because we don't, you know, I'm teaching parents these 10 concrete body safety rules and most parents are so excited about them. They wanna go home and sit their four-year-old down and read a list of body safety rules and that's not how kids learn. So we practice how to, um, you know, listen for a teachable moment and then discuss hugs and kisses and consent and who's allowed to touch the private areas of their body and who's not and when. Um, also a big piece of what we practice and parents have a lot of questions about is how to deal with relatives who, who demand hugs and kisses and who don't understand the concept of consent for a two-year-old or a three-year-old. Right. So we practice that um, and also how to answer children's sexual questions and when to answer them and how to use accurate language for genitals and just all of all of the information that goes into minimizing risks for kids. Because what I've learned and what we know is that a person who sexually offends children, usually an older teen or adult, they're looking for opportunity and access. And when families are discussing these topics openly and their children have information, the risk just gets minimized because offenders see that as not as a vulnerable as vulnerable of a family. Yeah, there's yeah. sense. You also teach like what to um, like look for for a child that maybe has been sexually assaulted. I do. Um, I spend very little time on this. It is one of the slides, and the reason is that once there are signs, that's after the fact. Right. Right. right? And that's excuse me, no longer prevention. Um, but yes, I do go with, and if you'd like me to do that, I can do that. But I really focus on what can parents be doing every day? Just like, hey, buckle into the seatbelt and wear your bike helmet and don't run around a wet swimming pool and all the rules we give kids. How can we normalize body safety and include it in everyday living? Um, yeah. What age do you recommend the conversation? Great question. So it's never too early to start. 
And really the concept of body safety begins the day a child is born. It really does because much of the work that I'm doing is focused on adults sharing this information with other adults and other teens. So you can be changing a baby's diaper and be using correct terminology and be offering consent on some level. I'm gonna change your diaper right now. Even though the infant obviously doesn't understand what you're saying, they still are perceiving the message. Right. I'm gonna change your diaper right now. I'm gonna clean your vagina or your vulva. I'm gonna clean your testicles. And now I'm gonna put your diaper back on. And th that kind of language can start at birth. Really kids begin to understand the information maybe right around one. You know, I know parents who, who send me emails where their, you know, 14-month-old mm -hmm. is yelling in the back of the car seat, I'm the boss of my body. And though that can trigger a parent, it's also wonderful when a kid can do that because they're beginning to, even if they're just parroting the concept, they're using the language. You know, of their body parts versus like cute little names. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we use slang terminology, which often focuses on food, like cookie and taco and hot dog and sausage and twigs and berries and all these words that make us laugh, there, there's two things going on. One, where that's not really body pride. We're not communicating a message of body pride. Two, it's a lie. You know, a vagina and a vulva and a and a penis are not these words that describe food. And it makes it more difficult for children to disclose if they are being touched. Because if a child is being taught slang words and then they go to tell and they use the word cookie, somebody might misinterpret what they're saying and not help them. And in a court of law, if a child used the word cookie for her genital, it would be thrown out. The child would not be heard. So correct terminology is critical from day one. What yeah. would be the most, um, oh, the most common, oh, how do I put it? Like a scenario that a, a parent should watch for, for a kid, like that to get in a situation like this where they're vulnerable. Yeah. So, I mean, I could go through some of the vulnerabilities that offenders look for. That would be great. And I think that grooming is, is the grooming behaviors is something that all adults need to understand, both parents and youth professionals, because that behavior is what precedes the touch typically. And what I mean typically is children can be sexually assaulted the first time they're dropped off at camp or a play date. That can happen, and it does. But more often than not, there's this process over weeks and months and years that a person gets to know the child and the child's adults. Even if the offender is a parent or a family member, there's still this process of grooming. So what to look for, the behaviors of concern are things like isolating a child and removing them from, from events and other, other adults and other children, separating them, um, focusing on the developing body of a child and making comments, um, demanding secrets, offering rewards, um, and breaking rules, always trying to get a child alone, um, being too good to be true, offering to babysit with no charge, 
And what I can say about all of these kinds of signs is that there is a gut feeling that typically accompanies this. Mm -hmm. As humans, we know when something feels wrong and when it feels right. And I would always uh, support people to listen to that gut feeling. It doesn't mean we have to go calling the police every time we get a red flag, but we do need to listen to it. So I guess my answer would be to, to learn the grooming signs um, of how an older teen or an adult behaves. And the one thing I really wanna say about this I think is important is that, and I've always known this, but it, it really came much more clear to me recently in a sex offender group that I participated in where one of the men shared with me, he said, you know, Feather, I really focus on grooming the adults around the child more than I do the child. Because once I can get the child's loved ones, the parents, the grandparents, their soccer coach, their teacher, whomever it is, to trust me and to rely on me and to call on me and to like me and to think I'm the greatest and all of those traits, then it's so easy to get to the child. So my point here is that when grooming is occurring, it is simultaneously occurring with the child as well as the child's safe adults. And people need to understand that it's not just focused on the child. Um, some other vulnerabilities. Oh, did you have a question? No, it's no, it just, I'm just shocked. This is something I hadn't really thought about. You just think about one an instance. You don't think about that somebody's grooming, you know, you or your child for this. So I'm, I'm just, for weeks and years it can go on. Yeah, and if you look at most cases, you will see in the high-profile cases you can read about and look look at, you'll see that there's a process of friendship building over time. There's getting to know the child and looking for their vulnerabilities and offering rewards and toys and love and connection and Barbie dolls and iPhones and whatever the child wants. And then secrets are built to isolate the child. Fun, innocent like secrets, like let's eat ice cream and not tell your mommy which is why it's so important for grandparents and other relatives not to engage in those kinds of innocent-like but very dangerous secrets with children. Um, and then, you know, through these stages of grooming, lastly comes the touch, which usually begins with grooming touch, playing with hair and stroking shoulders and patting butts and a real hands-on, touchy-feely kind of relationship, which is different than the loving affection parents give their children and need to continue to give. But there's a focus and an obsession with a touching relationship. Um, some other vulnerabilities in kids are kids who don't like and have real good self-esteem or who um, are disconnected from other adults or who do keep secrets and parents who don't have a large presence in their child's life. Um, I mean, I can go on and on with some of the vulnerabilities that uh, adult offenders look for, and I think this is a key. You asked this in the beginning for parents to learn what is what. How does this work? You know, just like how does a child ride a bicycle, and how do they learn to read, and you know, how do how do they do anything else? How does sex abuse work? So I make sure I do my best to minimize risk for my child, including with family members. So when you're um, talking to parents about this, do you address the teenage, um, let's say I have a teenage daughter, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I'm very, you know, afraid to let date. Do you address some education about that? Or, I mean, because 
you know, we haven't done all the foundation like you're talking about. Right. You know, I mean, about her dating right now. Well, she's not dating yet. No, but yeah. well, I mean, dating, dating relationships. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, I can, and yeah. I would if someone asked a question, but that's not part of my curriculum dating okay. relationships. It's more, you know, and, but Nancy, it's not too late for you to have these conversations. Right. And, right. you know, what I'll say is having a teenager, the, the reason that it's so important to nurture children's sexual development from day one is because offenders look for kids who don't know, don't have correct information around sexuality so they can teach it. So what I often ask parents is, who do you want to be the person who educates your child about sexual development? Mm -hmm. And what do you think the answer is most of the time for parents? The school. <laughs> that, hopefully that's not the answer, no, but sometimes no. that's the answer. Who, do you, who, who would you want it to be? Oh, myself. Of course. So if that's the, if that's what you want, that has to start really early. When a child says, "Mommy, why do you have big boobies and I don't?" Right. Or what's why is my penis sticking straight out? Or right. why is there blood in the toilet? And answering these questions honestly and correctly right from the beginning, matter of factly, and and being able to have conversations with kids about sexuality and and not fearing that giving them information will put something in their brain that wasn't there. It, when kids have the language to talk about sexual development and sexuality, then they will come to you instead of hopefully going to their peer or to Siri or to some other form of, of information. And it's just so common for kids to learn this stuff on their phones in the playground and they get misinformation and then porn comes up and on and on. It's, it's, really better when it comes from a trusted adult. Yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Before we um, leave today, do you have any other tips or anything you want to leave our audience with? It's been great information so far. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I guess the, the biggest tip is that, you know, my guess is that people are feeling uncomfortable listening to this. And that is something I start with in my workshops is, you know, what what are the barriers to protecting kids from sex abuse. And what people come up with, number one, is that it's so uncomfortable. And so the tip I leave you with is asking yourself, are you willing to feel a little uncomfortable learning about this and having conversations about this so your children hopefully don't have to live it? And that's for each person to answer. And you know, I invite your listeners to log on to parentingsafechildren.com. I have, um, for people who live in the Colorado area, you know, locally in Boulder, Denver, they can come to one of my live workshops and learn all this. Um, but if you live outside of the Denver area, the same workshop is available online um, on my website. It's super affordable. I teach it, same exact information with the materials. Um, my book, Off Limits, and Conversation Starter Cards are on the website. and Join in. Great. Yeah. Great. Great. I really appreciate you um, coming on and talking to us about this um, subject. It's a tough one, but it's a much needed subject, that's for sure. So um, I encourage everybody to log on to that website, get all the information you can, and let's let's save the children, you know? Yeah. Let's protect them. Um, yeah. And, yeah. It's up to us, you know? Yeah. And, you know, the, the 
so often people say this is a tough topic. And what I always bring it back to is, who is it really tough for? Yeah. It's tough for the child who lives it. So are we really willing to have it be tough so they don't have to experience it? Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for focusing on this. Oh, well, thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. I really appreciate that you're doing this. Um, and again, everybody, parentingsafechildren.com. Go on, take the course. Um, it's a Sharia. She says it's a great workshop, best book ever. So <laughs> for that. Thanks, Sharia. <laughs> um, and thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan Dr. Nancy, for the work you do also. Thank take you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.